as we know, Eurovision is not political. Wow, I'm suddenly drunk. Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 114 for the week of April 5th, 2021. I'm Ben Smith and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey Mike. Hello. And our special guest, Ned Raggett. Hey Ned. Hey there. We are a group of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest and this week we'll be talking about the middle section of the first semifinal. Welcome back, Ned. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be back, especially since last year was right around when things were getting a little hectic for us all, wasn't it? Uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> I can barely remember. It was like I was gearing up to like, all right, Eurovision, the things are coming in. Wait, is it even happening? What's going on? Help. That was something that I wanted to ask. When do you start getting engaged with Eurovision? I mean, we're covering it year round, but you seem to be a little bit more attuned to what's happening in Eurovision land rather than just the week of competition. I I would say I actively start following it around now. In fact, by now, I should have actually seen all the final videos for sure. And I was talking with another Eurovision fan. Hi, Meredith. I, I'm sure you're listening. Who basically was talking about how she was very much getting into all the national competitions that you guys regularly cover. And I thank you for that. But if I tried to do that on top of everything else I'm doing, I would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> or it just it, it's like my time I have carved out for other things, including, of course, my own podcast. I I just, I can't. <laughs> there, there are too many other things happening. So I rely on your coverage to keep me up to date on the finalists and just knowing where things are standing. And then I follow up from there. But by this point, I'd be totally gearing up for like where the national tour appearance is going to be as they go through Europe in a normal year and things like that and start tracking everything. But here we are. The middle season that usually happens around now it feels very weird to not have that happening for the most part it's something i miss i freely admit it i thought that this year was going to be a lot lighter in terms of content but no it's still all the things i'm glad that we can provide that service for everybody who does not want to try to keep up with all of that because i do not recommend it. <laughs> do not set up three tvs so you can watch all the semifinals that are happening at the same time we have tried it and it does not work <laughs> yeah. i remember seeing the twitter shots i'm like why are you guys doing this this is insane the only other time i've seen anything even remotely like that over here in america with march madness going on where people are trying to follow eight million games at once and that's impossible too so. and we don't even have the advantage of buffalo wings being brought to our table as it's happening uh, so it's well, there's, there's the downside <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Today, we are going to be covering Slovenia, Sweden, Cyprus, Norway, Croatia, and Belgium. We're going to kick things off with Slovenia. Anna Soklic is representing them again with the song Amen. Anna finished fifth on X Factor in 2012, won Emma in 2020, and both she and the song were internally selected for 2021, which is different for Slovenia. This is the first time that their process has been fully internal. And this was not her first Emma. She performed in 2004 and 2007 as Diona Dim. So Ned, as our special guest, what did you think of this Amen? I have this sneaking suspicion that this is going to be one of those songs that everyone's going to be like, hmm, over. And then all of a sudden it gets votes and places high. 
and skates through to higher levels of acclaim or vote rankings, and nobody will know why. That's my feeling about this song, which, as you can tell how I really feel about this song, is we've done this, and Eurovision does things over and over again, but we've done this. (laughs) We've had this particular song. Yes, we've had everything about this is redone. Now, I was comparing it to her performance and song last year. I liked it a little better just because it was a touch more dramatic out of the gate with the tensor piano chords, the delivery. It was sort of like, okay, all right, a little more with that. But the problem is essentially twofold. First, it is exactly what you expect it to be, a mid-range adult pop song that is post a lot of different things, whether it's post Whitney Houston, you could argue, and that admittedly may seem strange given the amount of time since Whitney made her debut, but I think there's a lot to that. It was a thing that so many other people have cloned or revamped endlessly, and now it's gotten to this, the sort of big, swelling, I would call it pseudo-gospel, which is its own tangled mess, but that's what we've got here, especially with the, the actual titular phrase. So you've got that, and you've got almost all the expected moves, and it's delivered incredibly professionally. The other big problem is something we (laughs) talked about when I was on that episode with you guys last year, and that's when we were thinking about what are the songs going to be like this year, and are they going to be post-COVID songs? This is a post-COVID song, and I'm sick of it already. Just (laughs) no. I was reading the lyrics going, oh, God, we're going to get a lot of these, aren't they? This is something I need to expect more of when I review all the other songs. Let me dig up one of the lyrics in particular, because I think it said it all. I read it and heard it sung, and I was like, ah, here we are. From the chorus, the day is dawning, the storm's relentless, but everybody knows, everybody knows we're born to the fight. It's the type of song that is, I don't want to say self-congratulatory, but it's the type of things that are like, yay, we did it. And I'm like, we're not even through it yet. Don't don't do this. (laughs) Not now. That's interesting, calling it a post-COVID song, because that was my takeaway as well. This is about enduring the last infinity months however long it's been Mm -hmm. 14 months i don't even think we've gotten to the post part of post-covid yet this is just a covid song and i agree that she is technically proficient in delivering this song she is hitting all of her marks and it's all martial but no art and it's just it's it is a lot. It's very by the numbers. It's a by the numbers Eurovision ballad. It's vaguely inspirational. I don't love the lyrics because it's just like, well, you're going to have to go through this and it's going to suck, but it'll be better. You might as well just put up an inspirational poster behind her with a kitten hanging on the limb. Hang in there. That type of thing. And top it all off, two big problems with the staging. I'm operating on the assumption, even more than before, that what we see in these things is how we expect something approaching final staging. And the double problem here is, one, we just have her on stage. These mystery voices in the background who are providing the, the choir type stuff, which that's not a good look, frankly. And the other point is, that little line of flames was weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swore I thought, okay, is this a little thing they mounted in front of the camera and it just pulling back? And then I saw from other angles, oh no, it's just down there on the ground. And then it flamed a little higher for the final chorus, but not by much. <laughs> so I was like, um, mm, no, <laughs> it didn't work. It, and if they're going to replace it, the replacement is probably going to be the sparkle shower. Slovenia's done this strategy in the past where it's banking on the resume of the songwriter as if that's supposed to carry it through. One one of the writers on it wrote Rise Like a Phoenix and a couple of other very successful Eurovision entries. And I don't think 
that's necessarily a factor that people pay attention to. Back in 2012 with their entry, Verjamem, that had the same composer as Molitva. I think they were banking on it has the same pedigree as Molitva, which is one of the best Eurovision songs ever, so it's going to get through. It finished almost last in its semifinal. I think that's the same thought when a movie trailer gives you something like, from the producers of Get Out, okay, you're trying to get me in here because I saw Get Out and liked it, but that came from the mind of Jordan Peele, not the producers. Whenever anyone says something like, it's from the studio that brought you, this is not a selling point. <laughs> you, know, you might as well just simply say, from the marketers who brought you this thing. That would be honest. That would yeah. be accurate. <laughs> it's disappointing. I think structurally, it's fine as a mm. song. I just don't enjoy it as a competitive entry. And that's where I'm struggling with this. And it does not help that it landed in the two spot. Even though statistically, we've now learned that, that position three is the worst to be in. But this is not a song that people are going to remember 16 songs later. It's very competently done. It's going to be sung very well. It's going to be staged competently. But I, I do agree with Ned, though, that I could see this one not necessarily being everyone's favorite, but being like everyone's 10th place and getting just enough votes to be over the line. This could be like Austria 2018, where it'll get 12 points, the very first score, assuming that it gets to the grand final. And people are just like, oh, yeah, great. And then it just keeps getting more and more points. But like, wait. Is this going to win? I don't think it's going to win. I do share your concern, Ned, that this is going to be uh, a surprise point grabber. Yeah, there's always at least one or two of these songs that sort of go through. It's like, wow, you are a triumph of mediocrity. What the hell are you doing here? And of course, the cynical response is, it's Eurovision. Who does it excite? People I don't talk to. But those people I don't talk to or think about are still people and they are have still, their feelings. What can I people, do? And they, they're very good at voting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Lesson to democracy. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Let's jump over to Sweden. Sweden will be represented by Tusa with the song Voices. Tusa is a Congolese refugee who arrived in Sweden in 2015 and has dominated their reality television competitions. Tusa finished as a semifinalist on Sweden's Got Talent in 2018 and the following year won Swedish Idol and then went into Melfest for 2021 won the jury vote, and swept the televote in their new scoring mechanism. So a lot of support from the home team for Tusa. He said in a recent interview that he wants to be the first person of color solo artist to win Eurovision, which is a shocking goal to exist in yeah. the contest's 65-year history. There's only been one person of color who has been associated with a winning act at Eurovision. That was Estonia's 2001 winner. What are folks' thoughts on voices? Ned, why don't we start with you? It is a classic Swedish model, meaning it's bound to aim to succeed. But I actually like this one better than the past couple of entries. Nothing against them, but I think everything's fully 
clicking on this one. Now, part of it is that Tussie's story is so good. You can understand why there would be natural sentiment for the story, given his background, and it balances off that with the fact that the goods can be delivered. This is a good, charismatic performer. And the combination of the songwriters, especially with Jimmy Joker being one of them, who has at least one or two other entries, is a sign he's got the good you know, pro backing. There's a familiarity here. The staging of the performance in the official clip is a superhero entrance. It's the reverse of the, what happened in the Black Widow trailer that literally dropped today where you have a figure in a hallway that's backlit. I've seen this, but it's very nice. And I appreciate that, again, unlike Slovenia, the backing performers and singers are more immediately brought to the fore and given more focus, and it fits the whole idea of the song. It's meant to be a we song, a voices song. And it's as simple as the glamour, really. I love Tussie's necklace. I think that's a, that's a small but important touch. That's good. Let's have more of this. So it's a case where I'm not necessarily thinking, oh, this is sl- hands down slam bang the winner for sure. I can see this landing very solidly, and I could see the stated ambition hopefully playing out. Emphasis on hopefully. We know the audiences are what they are, as we just talked about. I think there are some other things that don't quite work. This is also a bit of a post-COVID song, little less on that front than Slovenia's. This is more upbeat, more immediately approachable, again, works on charisma a lot better. I would have liked a little more commanding stomp out of the dancers. They just walked towards the end. You got the outfits, come on, do a little more with that. I think it works as a song qua song. It actually seems to work in its own right. This is another case where a lot of it is plug and play. It's very good plug and play. If we're going to you know, play out Swedish car models, this is an extremely good high-end Volvo. Sweden is very good at what they do with the pop writing machine. And I find myself liking the live version of this more than the the version that's currently out there on Spotify. The version on Spotify, you could plug any Swedish singer on it and it'd be fine. It's a message song. It's good. But the live performance elevates this a lot. And I think that is what is going to help it appeal. I can see this doing very well with the juries. From a compositional standpoint, it's very good. It's a very solid Swedish entry, and Tusa's performance helps push it over the top in the same way that the Mamas' performance of Move last year pushed that over the top, because the song is middle of the road to me. It's very good middle of the road, because Sweden does very good middle of the road pop. If I focus entirely on the recorded version, it slips lower and lower in my rankings just because there's a lot of really good stuff this year. Even from the Debs and Jimmy Joker, I think they have better entries in this contest. But they're going to sell the hell out of it. Yeah, I'd agree. I think maybe the factor that actually kicks it higher than might be expected in the end. And that, I think... Compared to some of the other stagings will also be good. Since they've announced the running order, where does this one place in the semifinal running order? It is between Russia and Australia, and I think both of those are going to be very different performances from what Sweden is going to do, and I think that will help it stand out more. I think it's been great that Sweden's been doing this more thoroughly now, where it just, let's be a little honest here, what does it mean to be Swedish? Clearly, it means you can be from anywhere. That's part of the story. That's part of Tussa's story, is what it is. And I actually like how this is playing out, especially in a time when, in a few countries over in the North Sea, you've got uh, something else going on with uh, all sorts of deep levels there about structural racism. But enough talk about England for now. I think it's a combination of the message itself, the context of Tussi's background, of the fact that Sweden has more openly put its mark, especially in Eurovision, thinking about the last time they hosted it, about uh, welcoming people in. This is beyond the song, arguably, and it's a question of how do you judge things with these other factors. But as we know, 
Eurovision is not political. Wow, I'm suddenly drunk. Um, so it's a case where I think the implicit element of that story, I think, will also be, I want to say, hopefully, a boosting factor, but in a way that I think is justified by the song and its performance. It's, everything comes together just so, just right in the moment, and it could work. I think Sweden's in big trouble. I think this is really more, I don't want to say a referendum on Tusa, but I think this entire entry is about Tusa's charisma and just being, I don't know, like the camera loves him. And he has such a great personality. After winning Melfest, he was like, oh, great. Now I've got to pull an all-nighter because I've got a biology test on Monday. <laughs> and those sort of elements I think are great. But I think this song is so paint by numbers. And it feels like other songs that have been at Melfest. Oscar Zia did this exact same song in 2016. And if this was given to an artist like Mariette, I think it would read differently. Like it might be like more of a song about Me Too or LGBT equality. I think this is going to be a test of Sweden fatigue because this feels like Sweden phoning it in, but they were lucky that they have somebody as interesting and enjoyable to watch as Tusa performing this song. It might be enough to get Sweden to qualify. I don't think it's going to solve their problem of sliding down the scoreboard that they've been experiencing since 2016. I was going to say that I can see this doing the thing that Sweden has done for the last few years, which is do very well with the juries. And then when the audience votes come in, they slide down the scoreboard. Yeah, I can see that. You do almost wonder whether it's now time for not Sweden in general to retool its model, because as everyone knows, a very successful model. But Times and tastes do ultimately change, however, seemingly glacially. So maybe there's uh, something that has yet to emerge that we just haven't heard yet that's still working its way through the system. And that may be the answer with uh, Sweden. I'm very interested to see what happens with Melfest in the next few years now that Christer Bjorkman is stepping down to come stateside and make the American Song Contest a thing. I'm wondering if we are going to see some retooling of that, where it's still going to be a selection process, but they have a chance to shake that up a little bit. Diving into the second half of the first semifinal, we can start talking about things in order. So number eight is Cyprus and Elena Sankrinu with El Diablo. Elena is a singer, actress, and TV presenter. She was a semifinalist on Greece's Got Talent, part of the band Other View until going solo in 2018. She was the backstage host for The Voice of Greece for a season. Um, and then El Diablo has sparked controversy with the Church of Cyprus, which called on the Cypriot broadcaster to withdraw the entry for promoting devil worship. As a person in a nation which is currently having its own fun little satanic panic all over again, has been very cute to watch. Cute is the just, word. Just, yeah, just because like over here we are having a freak out because little Nas X is sliding down a stripper pole to hell and giving the devil a lap dance. And they're getting real spicy over essentially a head and shoulders commercial. If that. <laughs> if, if that. I had not looked at the lyrics until today. I and have thoughts. <laughs> I, I have just been going, I don't know what she's saying in this part, but I'm sure that it makes more sense than what I'm popping out. And I've realized that, no, I was hearing the lyrics correctly. What's your favorite line? <laughs> the, this is basically a Spanish one song. Hotter than three racha on our bodies. Taco tamale. Yeah, that's my mood. 
I, I also like all the spicy melts my icy edges. Really? But that also just makes me think that this song is from the 2000s somehow. Where did this... What? How? You know, did, did it take this long? What's happening here? <laughs> it, it is very 2000s, early 2010s. This is just bad romance. It totally is bad romance. As soon as I first heard it, my first notes as the opening lyrics hit, it's the chorus for bad romance. Oh my God. It's instantly retro. Is it already retro? Is 10 years retro? That's exactly what this is. <laughs> this is what the Church of Cyprus is getting worked up about? Yes. A little protest chromatica if you want to be more up to date. And even then it still doesn't work. <laughs> The bad romance out of the gate was like going, well, uh, okay, that's a choice. But I was amused by the fact that I took the central chorus hook of the song and made it the opening lyric. I'm like, that's bold. Good on you guys. You need to get to the chorus as quickly as possible. Boom, there, it's there, and you've got it. I appreciate the the fact that it is a remarkably angst-free song, which I actually like. After the previous two songs, which to some degree or another, these post covid songs that we were talking about, we now get to a song that basically is, there is no angst, everything else is trappings. And the trappings are what's been getting all this attention. El Diablo, I'd love to know, did they decide, was it El Diablo first, and therefore we're going to throw in all these uh, Mexican food references? Or did they build up to that moment? Was it a choice? Who knows what goes in the mind of Jimmy Joker and compatriots? Who can say? This is a song that feels like it would be a lip-sync choice on Drag Race Cyprus, which is surely inevitable, <laughs> because there will surely be a drag race for every country. I, for one, cannot wait for Drag Race Liechtenstein. It will occur. Yes. <laughs> so, this is a banger that is banging for Cyprus. Us if Cyprus hadn't shown already that they could do some actual bangers. That's the problem. You've aimed high before. Why is this one not as sharp as it could be? Last year's choice of song was fine, and they very quickly course corrected when they saw the general public reaction to that one. We will send a proper banger next time. The thing that gets me is that they were excited about this one. They announced early... We're sending Elena. Our song is titled El Diablo and basically gave us everything except the lyrics. Then this came out. I was just like, this was it. And part of the other problem, too, this is not a very exciting video because the video relies on the edit for the visual excitement and it's generic. And when the dancers finally appear, okay, it has a little something more, but I'm thinking about what the live staging will be like and it's this is going to come over flat. Not only that, it seems like it's going to be an extremely difficult vocal to do live because there's just so much breathiness and shifting in vocal tone. The transitions from the verse to the chorus and the heavy panting and stuff. I'm very curious to see how this is actually going to play out, particularly if she also has to move around and dance and be physical in this performance. You can pull off a lip sync to this song. Can you perform this song? I don't know this one's going to be tough for her. And if she's able to pull it off, I think that's going to be really impressive. I'm skeptical on if she's actually going to be able to do that. I am also very skeptical on this one. I'm expecting them to bring in the element from the video with the dancers that are all black, which is like a whole visual thing that we don't really need to unpack. But there has been some talk online of just, this is not great. Nope. <laughs> that's something I didn't want to delve too deeply into, but it is obvious. And there are other videos we can talk about choices. I'm glad you caught that and brought that up because that's something more flashed by me. One other thing about the song itself is that there's a rhythmic squirreliness in a good way in the verses, but not the chorus. And that's something that's sort of like, you're making it a little more interesting and then you flatten it out there. Emphasis on little. This is a matter of degrees. This song is not truly compelling. But it's one of those things when you're trying to look for the small little moments. It's That's kind of nice, but just not enough. It's a very odd choice, especially since we know they can do better. 
thinking about the first time we discussed the song, we were like, okay, so is, is the actual hoopla over the song manufactured? Because the more that I sit with it, the, the more I'm just like, this isn't really all that controversial. So like they need to do something to make it interesting. The more we talk about it, the more this feels like it was built by committee and everybody's giving notes and they're trying to incorporate all of the notes, but all of the notes are in conflict with one another. And now you have this extra element of we find this offensive and people are just going to throw up their hands and just be like, okay. This is offensive. <laughs> yeah. You guys are talking about having a taco party in Spanish class. Right. Continuing in the theme of Satan's glow up, we have <laughs> totally, totally. We have Norway's entry from Tix. It's Fallen Angel. Tix is the alter ego of Andreas Hockland. His name is a pun on Tix from his Tourette syndrome, which he speaks very publicly about. He produced a track for Flo Rida, and he co-wrote Sweet But Psycho for Ava Max. He's had about two dozen top 20 songs on the Norwegian charts, including five number ones, one of which is the Norwegian version of Fallen Angel, which he performed on the first heat of... NRK Melody Grand Prix this year. The English version of this, which is what he'll perform at Eurovision, has peaked at number two behind the Norwegian version of the song. What what are people's thoughts on Fallen Angel? Ben, let's start with you. First of all, thank you to whatever producer put these songs right next to one another, even though I'm fairly confident they're going to stick some sort of, let's talk to the hosts over here while we set things up between the two of these, because it's between songs number eight and nine, which feels like a good time to drop in one of those. I see the work that you were doing, and I appreciate it. This and El Diablo feel like they're talking about the same relationship. This song is real fun to sing along with in the kitchen when it pops up on my playlist. On the other hand, the more I sit with the more I'm like, some of the other stuff that Tix has written as a songwriter has not been great from the perspective of dealing with relationships. I feel like when it came down to this and Kano, I could see Kano immediately going to the grand final with their song. This feels like a tougher sell for the broader audience outside of Norway, even though Norway loves Tix. The staging of this one, I have warmed to it, but it feels like a Lonely Island performance that isn't quite selling you on the joke enough. This is a case where the song itself strip out the visuals and just listen to it saw qua song it is a ridiculously sweet simple ballad it is not that far removed from 80s hair metal <laughs> so and i mean this with as a compliment i survived the era but it's the closest i've heard to something on eurovision for a while that could be called power pop and again i'm stretching with some of these comparisons but it has this sort of strange little feeling to it and then you've got what's actually happening in the staging yeah, your Lonely Island comparison is on there. Personally, as soon as I saw it started going and I saw the bandana, I'm like, what, DeAntford? What's going on here? You know, <laughs> ninja, you know? Especially the more you talk about what he's already done in terms of producing songs, a double comparison leapt to mind. One of the funniest things I've ever heard about Kanye West from people who are steeped in hip-hop and just grown up with it and talk about it just very well, both in pop and underground terms, is he's an amazing producer. The subtext is always he's not quite the MC. The persona sells more than the MCing skills. To a degree, I'm sensing that right here because all the trappings around him were definitely carrying him when the performance itself was not really happening is antithetical to something like Tusa was in terms of immediate charisma. It's more like, hi, I'm standing here with my 
crazy outfit on and all these chains, but I'm not really doing anything. And I will grab a microphone and turn. Not enough. But the other comparison in terms of angels, devils, and Satan's glow up to use that marvelous phrase again, is it makes me think of Jim Steinman. This is a Jim Steinman oh, yeah. situation huh. we've got right here because it's big and melodramatic in terms of the staging, not so much the song, even though lyrically it's trying to be. The song itself, musically, is not really making me think of Jim Steinman. Lyrically, it sure is. The staging, it absolutely is. This is the thing that Jim Steinman would do on a weekend break when he's rehearsing for the video rather than the actual video. But you have all the elements. You got chains, horned devils, <laughs> big wings, lightning from below your feet. You put it all together, and what it needs is meatloaf. What it needs is a singer to actually come in and belt this thing to the moon, <laughs> and with a really ridiculous over-the-top phrase. Fallen Angel is not a really ridiculous but, over-the-top yeah, this phrase. Is also, it's not ten minutes long. Right, yes. Granted, it is not an operetta. <laughs> One thing we discussed with this when we were first listening to it that I think still holds for me is that this and Sweet But Psycho are both great calling cards for his work as a producer-songwriter. Mm. But I, I agree with you that I don't fully buy him as performer. Interestingly, I think the fact that there isn't going to be a promo season this year, there's not going to be the Eurovision in concert or the London Eurovision party, I think that's going to work in his favor. We don't have to see him do live performances multiple times, and especially if they are going to be like what he did in Norway's competition, where it is all the action happening around him, but him not being the center of that action. Also, the Tick's character seems pretty objectionable as a persona, even though I think his normal day-to-day persona of uh andrea seems fine i'm worried about ticks yeah yeah and so you won't have the risk of him being off-putting to people i I think that's a very weird circumstance particularly since this song feels like a song that could exist in any eurovision year it's not one that i seek out but i don't actively dislike it it's occupying the same space that north macedonia is sitting with me where it's not doing enough to rise through the ranks i I think it's on the bubble for me but i expect this one to get through I can see this one getting through. I think because we are not getting the promo season, we're not going to be like, oh man, here's Tex in his fake fur coat and the angel wings again. We're not going to get burnt out on the visual of this one because they absolutely would have been bringing that to every promo party because that's the character. The most irritating part of the character, honestly enough, it's the sunglasses. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) It is. The sunglasses make him look like, and I don't know why my brain is going to this place of all places, but the performers that were in a goofy movie, that's the band. I wonder who will be the cool sunglasses-wearing person that will pop up in Space Jam, because we know that'll happen. There's always one. There's always a Poochie. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was yep. just thinking Poochie. Yep. <laughs> Watch the days go. I'm losing track of time. Lost in your play zoom. Don't overcomplicate now. We're in war zoom. You're screaming. Oh, no. Our next song in the running order is Croatia and Albina with TikTok. Albina finished third on the third season of The Voice of Croatia. She auditioned for X Factor but did not want to be placed in a girl group. I love that that little note. She won both the jury and the televote at Dora, this year's selection, and she's been nominated for Best New Artist at the Porin Awards, which are the Croatian Grammys. 
Mike, how has your relationship with this song grown since we first heard it? It's reminding me of when I was first starting to come out. It was either the first or second time that I went to a gay bar in the Cleveland area. And there was this one video playing. And there's a particular tier of videos that play at video bars. It's not going to be your top 40. It's going to be this kind of alt dance music. And there's this Irish boy band I think they only have two albums called D-Side. Uh, oh, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And there's this one song that they have called Pushing Me Out that has the same sort of structure as the chorus of TikTok, where it's one phrase leading into the next one. And it's a little bit like an exquisite corpse. Young gay Mike would have loved this. And old <laughs> gay Mike still loves this. <laughs> it's such a refreshing song. I think Croatia is being very smart about how this is being deployed, keeping the Croatian in the last chorus of the song. I think the video is a lot of fun. Like, it's a video that would definitely play in one of those video bars. Frankly, it's making me miss going to a bar here in Chicago that does music videos pretty much all the time. But on Sundays in particular, they have musicals and mixing that in with Janet Jackson videos and stuff. It's so much fun. Uh, I just want to be able to do that again. (laughs) This is providing a nice break until I'll be able to do that again. So yes, I I am pro-Albina. My perspective is not yours. My story is not yours. So I have to look at it a little differently. But I think you're right, especially in comparison to Cyprus. This is a far superior entry. This actually works a lot better. And for those reasons you described, you've nailed it perfectly. If last year, a lot of people suddenly very quickly adapted to the Billie Eilish model, this one was, okay, someone really wants to be Dua Lipa. Nothing wrong with that at all. To be maybe a little more critical about it, you can try to film yourself to be in a Cardi B set, but you will not be Cardi B. It cranks up. There's actual energy. That's good. Is this what Europeans think going to Coachella is like? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And I must point out as a lifelong glasses wearer that those shades that are bedazzled, that's ridiculous. You can't see through those. I'm sorry. You can try. (laughs) They're great for looking over, though, and that's precisely what she does in the video. So I'll allow for that. There should have been an edit with just the teddy bears. In fact, there should have been an edit where everybody was a Muppet but her. You know, that was... Oh, I want that version of the video now. I'm talking about the video a lot because the song itself is solid. I think you can go somewhere. The video is weirdly good and choppy at the same time. So like that one bit where you have the weird generic high schoolers posing against a wall. What was that about? This is not Euphoria, either the series or the song. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is something else. I did like the weird nod to Eurovision in Portugal a couple years ago when she was walking towards the door that opens up that's sitting out in the middle of nowhere. The intro is actually a problem. This is kind of slow and draggy. But then the beat came in. I went, oh, okay, much better. Thank you. I'm not saying it had to be completely banging out of the gate, but it needed to get past that point for everything to kick in. And after that point, it flowed pretty well. I will note some of the lyrics are your classic. These are your lyrics. Thus, from the chorus, I'm losing track of time, lost in your play zone. Don't overcomplicate. Now we're in war zone. Okay. (laughs) Warzone, it's right next door to Hot Topic. It's uh, on the third floor of the mall. Yeah. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. (laughs) I agree with you that it takes longer than it should to get started. I find myself sitting through the intro and then immediately moving on to other songs. Just get to the fun part. And the video is all over the place in a fun way. The song feels like the sort of thing that one of the people on reality shows like Below Deck, or I'm trying to stay away from a Housewives reference, but 
Like, it's better it, than a housewife song. <laughs> it, it, it's better. Yeah, it's, it's better than a housewife song. It feels like the sort of generic pop thing that one of them would get plugged into. Some producer has this sitting around, but it's available. This is a flavor of Eurovision song that we haven't had for a few years, so it's nice to have it back. And I think the performance is going to be fun and be dancey. I like the Dua Lipa comparison because it's very that once it gets going. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those things for a half second I was thinking KDB and then I thought, no, wait a minute, it has to be more up to date. And it was like, oh, Dua Lipa, it has to be future nostalgia. That absolutely is what leapt out to me because that's what Eurovision does. It sees what's as popular and goes, let us take <laughs> and go from there. And the last one that we are talking about today comes from Belgium. It is Hooverphonics, The Wrong Place. Hooverphonic were internally selected last year and reselected for 2021. They are probably the most established act in this year's contest. They were originally a trip-hop band formed in 1995. They're now not really genre-specific, but they're more in the alternative electro-pop space. Uh, a number of their songs have appeared in ads and movie soundtracks and various TV episodes, so you may have heard them in the background uh, of something that you've watched. They've had a rotation of lead singers, and they actually sparked some controversy late last year by firing Luca Kreisbergs, who sang their 2020 entry because they were reuniting with Gaiki Ernert for this song. They also sparked controversy by not participating in last year's Europe Shine a Light special. So yeah, they're the bad boys of Eurovision this year, <laughs> question mark? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Ned, I wanted to ask you, because my husband's around your age, and he was familiar with Hooverphonic for uh, a Depeche Mode tribute album mm-hmm. uh, that was in his collection. I was wondering if you had any prior experience with Hooverphonic outside of a Eurovision context. Yes, and precisely for that reason. I, too, had that tribute album. All us Depeche fans of a certain age absolutely had that tribute album. You had the sense that there were all of a sudden a lot of knockoffs trying to be Portishead or whoever. But weirdly enough... A lot of those bands that emerged under that umbrella were all their very own distinct, weird, different kind of bands. It was more like they got tagged with a flag of convenience, but they were all going in very interesting and different directions. Lamb is a good example. They they were tagged as trip-hop, but they are very much their own interesting dynamic and thing, and still are. They've been releasing stuff until fairly recently. I think the most recent album just came out. I want to say three, four years ago, Hoover Phonic were caught up in that as well. But that first album was a very distinctly good and striking album. And they've built on that. They've continued. They are an established band. I still remember when they were announced for last year's competition. I was like, Hoover Phonic? Really? That for me was along the lines of what Katrina and the Waves did it for the UK. It was like, how did that happen? That's a surprise. And then you think about it, sure, why not? And because they've been around for a while... That lends to what I think is the genius of the song. This is absolutely a middle-aged Eurovision entry. And I mean that as an incredible compliment. You have a feeling that this is by, about, and for pop listeners of a certain age who enjoy certain styles that may or may not be top 40, but at the same time are still out there and still validated and loved and meant to be accessible. I'm not comparing Hooverphonic to this wonderful band, but it reminds me how the Pet Shop Boys are in their own universe and doing their own thing, and they're still being the Pet Shop Boys being pop, even though they're not getting top 40 airplay. 
We're seeing that with a band like Hoover Phonic. We're seeing that here, and we're seeing it in the presentation of the song, maybe even more so than the lyric, that really captures that. I kind of love the weird little elements that are thrown into it. There are some random ones. Having the hook line be, don't you ever dare to wear my Johnny Cash t-shirt is okay, because I could see that being sung by any number of different bands over the past, oh, 20, 30 years. It's almost too much of a signifier. But, but throwing in things in the video, like the Miss Havisham reference with her in the wedding dress... Sure, why not? And I love this generic lump of a himbo in bed. (laughs) (laughs) I I appreciate that about the video. I appreciate that about the song. It is the perspective of the night after, and she's sort of like, hmm, yeah, about you. And and that makes the idea of the wrong place actually work. It, It resonates, oddly enough. We were talking about lyrics that don't quite gel in English. This is a lyric that actually gels in English just enough. It's not remarkable or striking or new. We're not talking Leonard Cohen here, you know, or we're not talking something along that level, but but we are talking about something that is interestingly world-weary, is a very distinct perspective. The video sells that perspective. It'll be interesting to see how the staging will be. The staging may be a little flatter in comparison. On the one hand, the video is stereotypically elegant, but on the other hand, it works and advances again this whole scenario. I I think it has a place. Whether or not it has a place for it to truly succeed, I don't know. But I think it's one of the many very interesting Belgian entries over the years that actually works on a level that I wouldn't have initially expected. Last year's entry was perfectly fine. I like this year's entry much more. I think this is a better choice of song and what they've done all around, and I'll be interested to see how and where it might succeed. But I I think looking at it through these frames of being someone of a certain age, yes, like your husband, with that sort of sense of, oh, it's been 25 years, oh, really? You know, since I first heard them and all that. I can see why they ended up doing this choice here, and it's one of those things I think may actually be a bit of a dark horse in the end for them. We'll see. Ben, your thoughts? I also resonate with the Miss Havishamness of the video. I'm really hoping that as they're thinking about staging, that's what they bring. This is in the middle of the running order. And I worry that just because there's a lot of more dynamic entries going on, I, I could see this one also getting lost. It's right between TikTok and Israel's Set Me Free. And both of those are, are doing the main pop girl thing. Which could make the standout all the more, but it could also mean it gets overlooked in the big montage at the end. It just occurred to me, literally, while you were talking about a song that was overlooked and didn't quite go further. One of my own absolute favorites, all-time Eurovision entries of the past decade, which did not make it to the final. You could say it's a little older, a little more considered, but again, wasn't trying to be dull about it. Was actually trying to make a certain pop sense about it in a particular aesthetic. Was Finland's entry from 2017, Norma John, Blackbird which I absolutely love as a performance and as a video. This doesn't quite rise to that level, but it resonates for me, partially because I am where I am in life. I want to think of it as a dark horse, but just as easily as you're noting, maybe it'll just get lost. Coming into this conversation, I was very lukewarm about this song, but now I'm very intrigued about it. Thinking of being of a certain age, I went to see 10,000 Maniacs uh, perform at a city winery a couple of years ago, and Mm -hmm. this is giving me the same vibe of that audience, that performance, and it was was a really good show, even though I wasn't overly familiar with 10,000 Maniacs catalog, or I was actually more familiar with it than I realized, but I'm coming around to that point of view to this song, and now I want to go back and listen to it and reevaluate some things. Same, because I feel like I've been having trouble separating Hooverphonics' behavior around Eurovision from their actual entries. 
Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they, they signed up for this and it has not entirely been the experience they wanted, just based on how they've been reacting. Uh, I can't really speak for them. I'm not a member of Hoover Phonic. But this feels like a more confident entry from them than last year's was. This feels much more in like the grand scale of what they're doing. On the other hand, they definitely feel like the band that if they were touring here, they would be touring city wineries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The main note that I had was that I think if Hoover Phonic, like if 2020 just did not exist for them and they just started out with this for mm. the 2021 contest, I think it would have been a much more welcome reception to it because we would not have had the controversy of them changing singers in between entries. It's a business decision. They are allowed to conduct business however they want. It just on top of the previous Eurovision Michigas, it, it just left a sour taste in everybody's mouth, I think. And right, right. that's not quite fair. Like, I think this song is definitely better than their entry last year. But I think there's so much baggage from last year that it's just weighing it down a little bit. Ned, thank you so much for joining us again. This has been delightful. Yes, thank you very much for inviting me. It was wonderful to be back and glad to be part of the whole experience. Where can people find you online? Yes, I can be found. Uh, basic, most public forum would probably be Twitter, Ned Reggett, R-A-G-G-E-T-T. I'm very easy to find there. I do have my other non-musical podcast on J.R.R. Tolkien that is called By the Bywater. You can uh, listen to me talk about non-Eurovision things there. And uh, general writing can be found uh, in various spots. More If you search the Daily Bandcamp site, uh, you'll find a lot of my more recent pieces there, as well as just a variety of other things around the web. I've been writing a while. There's plenty of thoughts out there about plenty of older bands and newer ones too. I do have my Patreon where I do try and keep up on posting about recent and new things as they come out and catch my attention as well as older stuff and that is patreon.com slash and there's a subscription option if you'd like to kick in for some of the extra stuff that I post over the weekends and I would appreciate it if you did. That's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can follow the Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we are also on Patreon at patreon.com slash EuroWhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at EuroWhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at EuroWhat on Twitter, or you can email EuroWhatPodcast at gmail.com. Next week on EuroWhat, we'll finish our coverage of Semifinal 1 with special guest Justin Ladia. 